you'll turn in the back or to your bulletins. While you're turning there, I've entitled the message today, God is in control. Uh, the reason that I'm bringing this message to you, it's kind of been a recurring theme over the past few weeks, but uh, with the massive situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in, COVID, this week a, a tremendous hurricane, uh, the stuff that's going around us with the election, there are all kinds of you know, physical clouds that surround our lives, but there are spiritual clouds that attack us in both corporately and individual ways. And I just want to remind you today of the great and mighty and awesome and powerful God that we serve. So that when these clouds come, we, of all people, should know how to stand. It's easy to blame others for our storms of life. It's easy to sometimes question God about the storms of life. Uh, but the Christian that knows the word, knows who God is, knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is in control. So I would like for you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. I preached on verses 4 and 5 just a short time ago. But I want to just focus on these two verses because they kept coming back to me this week with the various difficult situations that we find ourselves in. The issue is control. I was listening to a sermon this week by a preacher, and he said he had heard on the Oprah Winfrey show a conversation between Oprah and her and a husband and a wife. And the premise of the show was that the wife was in control of their marriage. The wife was in control. This is how she wanted her husband to live. He, he had to comb his hair a certain way because she said so. She said, you've got to hold your fork in a certain way because I said so. Here's what you can eat and here's what you can't eat. And she even kept a calendar of what he ate. She had notebooks full of rules that he had to follow. Now, I know some of you are thinking, Pastor Jeff, are you talking about my wife? I'm not talking about your wife, I promise you. Okay. He told her, she told him he had to fold his jeans in half and her jeans in thirds. And here was the simple rule in their marriage. She said to him, never give, your, never give yourself anything without asking me what I want first. Now, do we have any volunteers for that kind of a marriage? I don't think so, okay? The point is, she had to be in control. Now, one of the greatest things that can ever happen to your life, one of the greatest things that can ever happen to your marriage is when you realize you're not in control, <laughs> but you realize the one who is. And this often comes through the revelation of scripture, but also through the experiences of life. We're not in control as we think we are. Just one sickness can prove that. One, one thing that's out of our control shows us we're not in control. So Jesus was talking to his disciples and in, just by way of context, he was telling them, I tell you, my friends, this is Luke 12, 4 and 5. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So Jesus is saying, look, there's a lot of things in this life that are going to cause you to be afraid. Scary people. You know, you just fill in the blank. There's all kinds of things that perhaps you're struggling with in terms of fear. But Jesus says you overcome that fear by having a greater fear. You've got to fear God first and foremost. 
you got to realize the one who's in control, and when you realize he's in control, he's the one that perhaps you might lose your life on this earth, but he is the one that controls your eternal destiny in heaven or hell. That's the one you're to fear or revere, to hold in high esteem. And then Jesus, after giving them that truth, fear him first, gives us this incredible statement. Theologians call this the declaration of the sovereignty of God, that God is in control. Notice the specific details of these two verses. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Here's the question we want to answer. How do Christians know that God's in control? Point number one, here's what you've got to tell yourself. God has not forgotten you or God has not forgotten me. One of the things that we end up doing in life is when we're going through a difficult time, when a storm comes, we might say, God, where are you? Psalms are filled with this kind of language. Why, God, did you let this happen? You know, we put ourselves in the position of God because we're questioning the Almighty as to the activity and behavior in our lives. But what what this verse is saying, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is, underline that word, forgotten by God. Sparrows were not considered to be very valuable. The word forgotten there can mean overlooked. So sparrows in the marketplace would be overlooked. You you want to get something in the store that's valuable. You're just going to go past the stuff that's cheap. And and that's the way the sparrows were considered. Penny is the word serion. That's not even an hour's worth of work. You could get one of these things very cheaply. If you're walking down the sidewalk and you see a penny on the ground, are you going to pick it up? Some of you perhaps would. Some of you perhaps would not. Depends on how you value that penny. That's how some people would view the sparrow. They would say that it's, you know, there, and I'm going to have to have it if I have to have it, but otherwise I'm just going to go on to bigger and better things. That's the way many of us view life. We look at people that are valuable versus people that we don't consider to be valuable. We place value judgments on all kinds of things and we'll gravitate toward the things that are most valuable to us. I love what Warren Wiersbe says in his commentary. Look at, look at the little quote in your, in your outline. It did not cost much to purchase sparrows in the market. We discovered that sparrows were so cheap that the dealer threw in an extra one. In other words, buy one, get one free, or buy four, get one free. I mean, we don't want them either. You know, we'll, we'll gladly get rid of them because they're not very valuable to us, but we'd rather have your two pennies than these sparrows. Okay? That's how little value they had. Most people overlooked, forgot about the sparrows. But not God. God doesn't overlook anything. God doesn't overlook you. God doesn't forget about you in the midst of your difficult circumstances. And yet, that's the time that we think he's forgotten about us. It's been my experience in dealing with people through the years and looking at scripture. The problem isn't God forgetting about us. The bigger problem is we're forgetting about God. You know, we, we kind of hold God accountable and responsible for forgetting about us when he doesn't. And yet, you know, the easiest chance we get to run away and do our own thing and leave God out of the picture, that's perfectly fine. It's okay for us to forget about God. You go back and you read the prophets in the Old Testament. You see that accusation over and over and over and over. They didn't take God seriously. They forgot about him, except when a crisis came. Then they called upon his name when God would raise up an enemy or God would send a famine in the land. All of a sudden, oh, we better take God seriously. 
We are spiritual drifters, spiritual backsliders until some kind of crisis comes into our lives. We forget about God, but God doesn't forget about us. Do you feel insignificant? Do you feel like, Jeff, I've been doing this for a long time and I'm all alone? And you've believed a lie about the Almighty. He doesn't forget about us. If he's going to recognize when a sparrow falls to the ground, he's not going to forget about you. So let's just stop for a second and say these words, please. God has not forgotten about me. Go ahead. That's the truth that dispels the lie. Tell yourself the truth. There's the story of Joseph. I mean, I have always loved the story of Joseph because I can relate. I, my dad and I were separated at a very young age, and I've always gravitated back to that text. And I asked myself, how did Joseph do it? I mean, in Genesis 39, he was sold by his brothers into captivity, taken off into slavery. I don't know about you, but I would feel forgotten. I would feel overlooked. I would feel abandoned. <laughs> and yet that was the experience that the sovereign God that controls all things allowed him to go through. And it says in Genesis 39, verses 1 and 2, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was among the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. I love verse 2. After all that, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. <laughs> you feel abandoned by your brothers, abandoned by your family, but the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Later on in his life, being a righteous man, falsely accused of adultery, he was thrown into prison. God, have you abandoned me? Have you overlooked me? Have you forgotten about me? And I love what the text says in Genesis 39 and verses 20 and following. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You want to show me somebody who's blessed of God? I'll show you somebody that God does things despite that person. Because that person's heart is yielded to him. God does wonderful blessing, uh, wonderful awesome things for those who heart trust in him. They know that God's in control even when they lack total understanding. And we forsake the blessings of God when we have to be in control. God, I got this. Stay away. Now, we may not say it so blatantly, but that's what's going on in our hearts. There was a great preacher many years ago named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. His nickname was the Prince of Preachers. He was considered one of the greatest preachers in all of Christendom. I mean, he, he was just a marvel. If you've ever read any of his sermons, they're just amazing. At such a young age, he was a prodigy. And many people wonder, you know, he didn't go through the formal training of seminary like others had. He was just a five-star preacher, they call him, totally gifted at a young age. And people wondered, how in the world did Charles Haddon Spurgeon become such a great preacher? Well, when he was a young boy, in their house, they had a cook And from the youngest of, of age, she was a devout Christian, and she poured into Charles Haddon Spurgeon's head 
the truths of, Bible, of the Bible, the truths of Christianity, over and over. He learned his theology from a cook. Her name was, her name was Mary King. History has forgotten about her, but God did not forget about her. And God used her to raise up one of the great preachers of this generation, of, of, of his generation. There are no insignificant details to Almighty God. He is in control. Now, Mary King should have said, I hate my job. I'm a cook. I want to be somebody and be something. It's all about me, but she didn't do that. She was submitted to the will of God. She knew her place was to serve the Lord wherever he planted her. And she touched a generation of people, still touching people through his life. Can you get to the place where you can say, God, you've not forgotten about me, even in the most difficult circumstances that I find myself in? Because freedom starts with your trust in the Lord. Point number two. God knows every fact about you. Oh, this is where the rubber hits the road, friends. Look at verse 7. It's a small verse, but a powerful one. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows every little detail about our lives. He knows every fact about our lives. Let me, let me say, change that a little bit. He knows the precise details of our life. If I have 5,000 hairs of my head, he doesn't say 4,999 or 5,001. He knows the precise details of our, of our lives. Now, he doesn't forget about us, and he knows every detail about us. No, no, let's think about that for a second. Let me, let me tell it to you bluntly. God knows what you don't know about yourself. Do you know the number of hairs on your head? I don't. So he knows something about you that you don't know about yourself. He knows the good things that you've done and he knows the not good things that you've done. He knows every detail of our life. In fact, if you go on in this text, it talks about everything that's been hidden will be disclosed. I tell people, I said, look, when it comes to living, keep it in the open. The best thing for a marriage is no secrets. Keep it out there in the open. Don't hide things. When you're hiding things, you might hide it successfully for a while, but eventually that thing's going to come out. The Lord loves you enough to let it come out. No secrets. You see, when you feel forgotten by God, you're pursuing something else. You're trying to find something else to fill the emptiness in your heart. Well, here, here's the truth. Your God knows every single detail about you and you and you and you. He's not guessing in this room. He's not guessing in this county or state or nation or world. He knows we have a big, big God. Do you agree? In the Old Testament, the phrase, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground, is used as a reference to God's sovereignty. Remember when you're reading through the Bible, you'll see this little phrase, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. Some scholars feel like that's a combination of what this verse is talking about. That God is so in touch with the details of life, he just doesn't know the number of hairs on your head when you're 10. He knows when one falls to the ground. I mean, we're talking a massive, big intellect here that surpasses anything that we can think of or imagine. I saw this, maybe this illustration will help. In, Ma in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12, we read these words. Isaiah the prophet says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? 
Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? I mean, it's just one verse. But the, the amazing breadth of that verse is unbelievable. Inspirational writer Raymond McHenry says, here are some facts that we know scientifically that come out of that verse. Number one, the oceans of the world contain more than 340 quintillion gallons of water, and God holds them in the hollow of his hand. The earth weighs six sextillion metric tons. Yet God says this is but dust on the scales. The known universe stretches more than 30 billion light years, but God measures it by the width of his hand. And this is my favorite. Scientists claim that there are at least 100 billion galaxies in the universe, at least 100 billion galaxies, and each of those 100 billion galaxies is made up of 100 billion stars. And yet, the Bible says in Isaiah 40, 26, he knows each of those stars by name. <laughs> 100 billion galaxies with each 100 billion stars in each one. And he knows all of them by names. I can't even think of that many names for maybe 100. But he knows all the stars by name and all the galaxies. Our God is way too small, folks. How big is your God? Is he this big? If he's this big, he can be in control. And yet, when a storm comes, God, you've forgotten about me. We fall into fear. Here's some facts I need to fill you in on, God, because you're missing it. We've got to remind ourselves that God's not forgotten about us, but he knows every fact about us. So say this after me, if you will, please. God knows every fact about me. Go ahead. See, the truth dispels the lie. What the enemy wants to do is, just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden, did God really say? Are you going to believe that stuff? We live in an advanced technological age where that stuff is just no more. That stuff is just not applicable anymore. We've evolved to the point that we're so smart, we don't have to believe the Bible anymore. And, and people are getting swept up in that left and right. It's not that God's forgotten about us. We're forgetting about God. We don't think of these things anymore. 100 billion galaxies, well, they just came here by chance. Nobody can name 100 billion stars and 100 billion galaxies. Well, that's your choice. You reveal your faith by the choices that you make each and every day. Let's finish this up. Point number three. When you realize that you have a really, really big God, God takes fear away from you. Look what it says in verse 7. Don't be afraid. And that's an imperative command that Jesus is saying, look, I'm in control. I know the number of hairs on your head. Don't be afraid. Not, let me just preface that by saying we all get fearful at times. But that's the goal. Don't be afraid. And here's why we're not to be afraid. It's a beautiful word here. You are worth more than many sparrows. There's some really interesting words as you go through this text. Remember we talked about in the last verse, verse 7, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. The word number there in Greek is arithmeo. We get the word arithmetic. God's the ultimate mathematician. Okay, he's the one that created math. Makes sense. And, and, and as you come down here, you're worth more. You're valuable to God. 
Sometimes I'll hear people say, God doesn't love me. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, down a cross for you. Do you know anybody else that would die for you? You're valuable to the Almighty. Now, you might not be valuable to some people. You might not be valuable to somebody you love and they don't love you back. But we can never say that about God. God sent his son to die for us because you are valuable. To him, we're, we're the apple of his eye. And he chose to make that covenant with us. We didn't earn it. You're worth more than many uh, sparrows. Look what it says in your outline. The fear of God is the fear that conquers all other fears. For the person who truly fears God need fear nothing else. So here, here's the principle. You're not forgotten by God because he knows every fact of your life. Therefore, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Because you are valuable to God. God loves you. So let's just say our third point today. I'm valuable to God. Go ahead. Now you've said three things today. I'm not forgotten by God. God knows every fact about me and I'm valuable to God. That perhaps you came in here wondering if they were true or not. But that's the truth. Jesus said, if you know the truth, truth sets us free. So what we want to do is we want to take these truths and start acting like they're true. <laughs> it doesn't produce pride. It produces confidence in a big, awesome God. Trusting in him. But do you realize you're valuable? No. If we're made in the image of God, look at the person on both sides of you. They're valuable too. Uh, we tend to look at folks and kind of categorize them. Valuable, not valuable. I saw this illustration uh, back in 2009. There was a, a school that was going to an art gallery. And they were able to see a very famous painting for, that was worth $1.5 million. The painting was called The Bay by Helen Frankenthaler. So this class, can you imagine this? The class is just going through this art gallery. And there's this one painting that's just worth $1.5 million, okay? And you know there's got to be one in each class, right? There's just one in each class. It wasn't me in my class, and I know it wasn't you. It's got to be somebody in each class, okay? A 12-year-old kid thought it would be a really great idea to take out his gum and stick it on the painting. Even though they were told, don't mess with the art. There's always one in there takes the gum and sticks it on the painting and leaves it there for the whole... That's his artwork. Well, you can imagine what happened. All kinds of concern broke out. They were able to get the gum off, but the gum left a stain on a $1.5 million painting. And they said they couldn't discipline the boy because he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know the value of the painting until after it was over. Then he realized the value of the painting. Sometimes we're like that. We realize we're a little valuable too late. And I don't want you to realize you're too valuable too late. You are valuable right now to an almighty, living, holy God who loves you and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. He hasn't forgotten about you. Have you forgotten about him? The church of Jesus Christ is dearly loved. He hasn't forgotten about us. He knows every fact about us. So we need to stop being afraid because we're dearly loved and valuable to him. So when we go from this place today and go out this week, let's represent our Savior well. The people we run into are not forgotten about God. 
And we might know all the facts of a situation, but God does. And we need not be afraid of letting them know that they're valuable to the Almighty, even if they don't think they are, and even if they don't think you are. Our, our heart's desire needs to be, let's live in the way that pleases our Heavenly Father, because He did all this for us. Isn't He a good God? Isn't He a big God? Isn't He a God in control? What a wonderful God we have the privilege of worshiping and serving. May we pray to his name. Let's close in prayer. Almighty God, forgive us, O Lord, when we don't act like you exist. Forgive us when we don't realize that you're in control. Forgive us, O God, when we live as if we've forgotten you. We humble ourselves and thank you for not forgetting us. That you know every detail of our lives, even where we lack understanding, we just worship you and praise you because you are an almighty, awesome, powerful, holy God. And that you've demonstrated your love for us, that we're valuable enough for you to send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and allow your Holy Spirit to go through this place today and convince us of that fact and of that truth. Cleanse us, O oh God, of the lies that we believed and replace them with the truth of your mighty and holy word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.